0: You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer. Two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. Uh, Hello, hello, hello. Here we are, uh, once again. What are we talking about this week, Jackie Farmer?
1: Well, Louise Oliver, we're going to talk about the epic 90s heist
0: movie, size <laughs> Club. It is a heist movie. It's a heist movie meets an all-female Three Stooges. I will stand by this. It is. So what's the what's the movie about? This movie is about three of our best actors trying to avoid running into some form of Trump in in the 90s. Apart from Ivana, who they actively invite to their party. They do, they do. You can't swing a cat in the 90s movie world without hitting a Trump. It's really upsetting. I know, it is. So this movie is about, I don't know, you have to go. You have to go.
1: (laughs) It's it's a film about friendship. It's a film about women. I should have written this down. We should have really brainstormed this. Main beats of the film: four friends graduating uni, promising to be friends forever. Then we skip to soccer Channing, who plays Cynthia, whose husband has left her twenty years later for a younger Heather Locklear, and she. Trigger warning: yeah. There is going to be chat in this podcast. There are storylines about suicide and eating disorders mm-hmm. in this in this film, which we will discuss. She writes letters to the other three friends and commits suicide. And then we go and we meet the other three friends as they are living now. And they are also all either divorced or in divorce proceedings. And their husbands have also left them for younger women. And the funeral brings them together. They decide to get revenge eventually. And they do. And they do. I was like pulling
0: (laughs) pulling (laughs) teeth. I feel like we could definitely be more succinct than that. I think we could. This movie is about three middle-aged women doing the abandoned pilot for Sex in the City. Yes, this is Sex in the City if they're all settled in their 20s. It is about sisterhood and friendship, but the motivating thing, the catalyst to get us to the sisterhood and the friendship mm-hmm. and those themes is that these women are left or broken, or damaged by their husbands because they are no longer Mm -hmm. deemed fuckable by them. Yeah. In a nutshell.
1: And I think there's also a running theme throughout the film about how all four of the uni friends, including Cynthia, who starts all off, not only have they been abandoned and sort of thrown away by their husbands, but they actually are the reason in various ways for why their husbands have become so successful and so attractive to the people that they've ended up with. They mentioned, so Cynthia was the valedictorian. She was kind of voted the most likely to be successful. And she married this man, Gilbert, I think. Of course his Um, name is Gilbert. and, And he made his fortune through her connections. Mm-hmm. We have Brenda's husband uh, Brenda's played by Beth Midler Her husband is Morty Who we want to like more than we really should Because he's played by Dan Hedaya Yes and You have a um, real weakness for
0: Dan Hadea. I do And he is the least worst And the movie knows that too Because he's the only yeah. one who gets a reconciliation narrative Even the movie is like yeah. Oh come on, it's Dan Hedaya Maybe if his dad had set a better example for him If he'd had a Mel
1: Horowitz in his life Exactly Things could have been different But you know She supported him Through his first Electronic store So she supported him By working behind The cashier And then as we also Find out Her Uncle Carmine Provided all of His
0: original stock and Listen, Uncle Carmine Is in the mob I'm obsessed and... with Uncle Carmine I think Uncle Carmine <laughs> Is low key My favourite character Actually He's great I just really <laughs> wish I had an Uncle Carmine He's the Mel Horowitz Of this film Yeah he's like, I just love his Like uh, after The bummer and uh, he's given brenda the like mori's a pots or whatever he says no he doesn't say yeah putz. it's like something italian gangstery. and i just love him i just really want an uncle carmine yeah. it was
1: like i would consider it an honor to
0: take him out yes Like i think that's all i want in life is for somebody to uh say that to me because i'd be like oh babe i've got a list yeah anyway please carry on with your excellent dissertation topic I could never condense my dissertation topic to a decent length. Well, there's I'm definitely one There's definitely one in this. Okay. I, I really love where you're going with this. I love this because I didn't notice it right away. I only noticed it where Goldie Hawn's character is concerned, Elise. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't clock that actually it's something that connects them. So please, yeah. dig a little deeper, so, give it to me.
1: So Morty got his start from Brenda's hard work and her father and her uncle's dodgy connections and affection for her. Mm-hmm. Elise uh, was married to Bill, who's I guess a producer. Um, well, I think he's a producer
0: now, but I got the I got the vibe from the movie that he was nothing until he met Elise. Yeah, which he is highly relatable, content. He yeah, yeah, highly sure relatable is. content. Yeah, highly relatable content. Yeah, because Elise points out that you know he knew nothing about films until he met her, and, and she's the star, and she yeah. is also you know it alludes to when they're dividing up the divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: settlement and also we're just assuming that you've seen the film
0: yeah but we so, am, we are also yeah. assuming that you don't come here because you haven't seen the films yes if um, you have arrived by accident if you've stumbled across us i don't know looking for i don't know a dating service or something because you the yes. first wife's club i don't know um yeah. then we'll watch the movie and then come back Yes, a belated spoiler alert. We're trying out structure and it's not going very well. (laughs) I think
1: it's going great. We're trying something new, guys. Bear with us. Bear with us. Yeah, so that they have to divide up all of their stuff so that they can split it in half. And... There's a whole thing where, like, Elise goes into his office and starts saying, like, oh, the Ming vase and the... I love it. The thingy, like, the expensive shit, and <laughs> she's bought it all. She's the money. Absolutely. And he's trying to
0: take it, and he's trying to get alimony, mm-hmm. and... Also, I'm sorry, you used to be, you know, a law person. On what grounds is he getting, like, alimony, and is he getting, like, anything? Like, I don't understand... <laughs> So alimony I don't know if it's a word That we I I never did family law Well what good are you I don't know Why are you here I don't know You're here because You're magnificent That's why you're here Thank you I just don't understand Like I love the scene Where she marches in With all of the Removal guys In a little row Behind her Like soldiers And Mm -hmm. she just starts Pointing at all The horrendous But somehow expensive Gear that's in that office Yeah Including Um, his desk Yeah whips his desk Right out from underneath him Which is very satisfying But I don't get why I, he's entitled to any of that Unless he's kind of God something I just triggered I just triggered my own self I actually do get it I can see why In a situation where you trust someone And you enter into a collaboration like that That actually You, you make yourself vulnerable To the manipulations And the machinations Of a fucked up guy So actually, perhaps I have just answered my own question. Well, Um, there's that,
1: but I guess he's entitled to alimony or thinks he is because of the same reasons that can go the other way and women get alimony. And it's about like helping somebody grow their business. And I suspect that the source of alimony, I don't know this for sure, but I would have suspected it would be something to do with, like, for instance, it's very common for women and particularly like less so now, but still women are more likely to stay at home and not work or not work as long hours and therefore Mm -hmm. maybe not make quite as much money because they're looking after the home and raising the children and and doing all of that unpaid labour. Right, yeah. Um, And so if a marriage breaks down, the fact that they can't necessarily enter the workforce at the level that they maybe need to, to keep the house they live in and keep the kids in school or like what, you know, have whatever they need to have, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they shouldn't really be punished for the fact that they wanted to not be in a marriage anymore. And that it's like a recognition of that Mm labour. So I guess he, in this case, is using a, a sleazy fucking lawyer to, to make that work for him. That's what's happening here.
0: Well, fuck him. And that's not to say that men <laughs> never deserve financial support, just not this guy. Not this guy, not Victor Garber in this movie. And also, I, I'm a little annoyed at this movie for making me hate... To Garber because he's so nice. Well, I was thinking
1: about the other. So I know he's in Titanic, and then the other thing that I was I saw him in that he's not
0: nice in. He's well, the yeah. sleazy lawyer and Legally Blonde. Yes, he is the, <laughs> lawyer the Legally sleazy Blonde. lawyer and Legally Blonde. But to me, he will always be Thomas Andrews, the shipbuilder in Titanic, who is so sweet to Rose and. Um, tells her she built you a better ship rose you just made me want to cry yeah so because he said that line in that way that he said it I can never take I just don't want to I just don't want to hate him so you know anyway but that's my own stuff
1: (laughs) no that's fine I also found him quite handsome in this film and I was trying to figure if there was a bad reason for it and actually realized this did come to me today after some exercise and which is when I do my best thinking just like a leaf (laughs) Um, But I realised that he looks like an older version of Nick Scratch from
0: The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Oh my goodness, okay, okay, I see that, that's interesting Yeah, 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 no, he's a good looking man, even even at 72 Mm. he's got that kind of like He's got a little bit of a, a very amenable Silver Fox thing going on, like He does He's got a very gentle face I just don't want to be put in a position Where I have to buy Victor Garber as a sleazeball And I include Legally Blonde in that But anyway, we can move on from that Um, Yes, because we do have to buy it in this
1: film We do have to buy it He's,
0: He's the worst one He is the worst one
1: and he um, does sell it
0: because he's a great actor.
1: That's three. And then the fourth one is Diane Keaton.
0: Yes. <laughs> and she's
1: married to Bill, and her contribution to him is less financial. And it is more that thing of like heavily implied that she has basically just like held his hand through every single little thing and made every horrible thing he's done okay because she's a forgiving person. She's a very nice person. She's been taken advantage of by him quite a lot. I washed, I ironed, I starched, and like, her friends are like, "You starched," and just like, "Well, I mean, I supervise." <laughs> so she didn't, she didn't do it without the probably underpaid other women in mm-hmm. her life. But there's that kind, of, that kind of unpaid labor that we talked about that women yes. do in the home. that
0: emotional um, labor.
1: Men, yes, which partners of the people who do the unpaid labor benefit from. And it all works very well if your marriage works out or if your living situation works out. But if it doesn't, then that person needs to be looked after. So in short, all four women have been instrumental in the success of these men who have at this point cast them away to be with younger, in some instances, much younger women or
0: children yeah excellent work i applaud it thank you so my dissertation topic is an analysis of the career of elizabeth berkeley and how this is the best thing she's ever done and that Mm. her career and the choices that she made are a direct reflection of the patriarchy and the, the way that it oppresses women in the industry. <laughs> it didn't work okay. that entirely well, but it's, a, it's an Elizabeth Berkeley focused dissertation topic. Okay. Because Elizabeth Berkeley is in this movie mm-hmm. and she has Saved by the Bell, mm-hmm. Showgirls, and mm-hmm. First Wives Club. And I would yeah. argue, and I'm sorry for any Saved by the Bell stance out there, that this is her finest work.
1: I mean it's a high bar. It doesn't mean say by the bell wasn't good. It doesn't mean Showgirls isn't a camp classic.
0: Yeah. And I like Elizabeth Berkeley's character in this, even though she is the other mm-hmm. woman in the context of Elisa's relationship. But there is something it's not really addressed in a full on way, but I absolutely mm-hmm. love that Elizabeth Berkeley is in the audience of Elisa's play at the end. Yeah. Absolutely loving yes. it. <laughs>
1: I like that. If you've not seen the film recently, the women uncover that, what's her name in it? Phoebe. She plays a, yeah. a, a young actress called Phoebe, who is now dating Bill, who's played by Victor Garber, who is Elise Goldie Hawn, soon to be ex-husband. And they're trying to find stuff on everyone, and they can't find anything on him. He's financially a saint until they discover that Phoebe is actually 16 years old. Yes, And there are a few things I liked about this. I really like that any scene that Elizabeth Berkeley is in,
0: she is acting like a teenager. She is doing a thing that I am convinced that the actress who played Liam Neeson's daughter in the film Taken, Maggie Grace, when she was in Taken, was 25 and was supposed to be playing, I think, around 14 or 15. So uh, what Maggie Grace does in order to play Kim, Liam Neeson's daughter, she just works with the limbs. It's all limbs. It's like running around corners in in squeaky sneakers and be like, (gasps) it's just, it's a very gangly, very physical focused performance in order to say, I am a child, even though I'm actually 25. and i feel like maggie grace looked to elizabeth berkeley in the first wives club as a key yeah. source of research yeah.
1: you actually don't even really get the impression that she's even aware that elise is bill's ex
0: yeah she doesn't she's, she's just, just like, like she's
1: beyond delighted to meet her she's like yeah. oh my
0: god you're elise elliott she's i love o- you yeah she's operating with such a level of naivety that i feel like she's not even aware she's Technically, in a relationship with Victor Garber's character, (laughs) like she's she's behaving in such a way that where she genuinely feels like there is just a young actress on-junoo opportunity moment taking place that is free of the horrific. Dynamic mm-hmm. of Well Of what yeah. he's up to What he's up to Yeah
1: Because there's the scene Where Elise asks him Like oh how even old is she 25 And he says 21 And the look on his face When he says it Is just so He's so pleased with himself That she's 21 Yeah And there's just that idea When you find out her age It just really hammers home That whole thing about Well the younger the better As long as there aren't Any consequences for me But it's like He has targeted her Because of her youth And her naivety And she acts like a child. So if you can find someone who it's legal for you to have sex with, who acts and makes decisions the way a child would, Mm -hmm. you're still an
0: arsehole. 100%. You are a predatory, problematic arsehole. And I think, and you know, this is a topic that if, if we are ever addressing content where this is touched on, I will be slightly triggered. I am very anti big age gaps in relationships. Mm. And I know that for some people it works. And I know that they can be two adults in that equation, but like I am just always a little bit like why wouldn't you, if there, if the man is the person who's like 10, 20 years older, like there's a fucking reason that you are not in a relationship dynamic with a woman your own age. There's a reason for that. And the reason is probably because the, a woman your own age will call you on your bullshit. So that is what's happening here. And it's fucking gross because we're in a comedy. It's played off a comedy in the 90s, I might add. It's played mm-hmm. off as something that is there as a sort of humorous plot point and for something for Elise to react off of. So we don't really go into the into the depths of it in any way that could, you know, make us even sadder than it does on the surface.
1: We just scare um, him with jail. That's that's kind of goes.
0: Sca- scare him with jail. So yeah, that would be my dissertation topic. <laughs> okay. Elizabeth uh, Berkeley. Elizabeth Berkeley, a career discuss. <laughs> dissertation topics and themes. Uh, I would like to also offer that that there's something in there about ageing and aesthetics for women, but that feels like a bit of a basic bitch topic. I feel like we don't need to go into that in detail because we're going to cover it all the way through the movie, literally all the way through the
1: movie. Literally all the way through the movie, yeah. And I think also if you listen to our podcast for five minutes, you probably can guess more or less what our opinions
0: are on that. Yeah, you know where we stand. And one of us is an actress in her mid-30s, so, you know, sore spot. Um, You're in your district attorney phase. I'm in my district attorney phase. I love the fact that we both made that note. Uh, The Babe district attorney and Driving Miss Daisy are the three tiers uh, available to a woman as an actor. and uh, You've written it down too, but next to mine it says, don't get me started in all caps. So don't get me started. Although on the subject of aesthetics, I would like to say... That I am obsessed with everything Elise wears in this movie Her wardrobe is great It's very extra, but I love it I love her funeral outfit mm-hmm. Her funeral outfit when she when they all go to With the hat With the hat and the glasses And it's just, it's perfection I also really like her shag haircut I like that when she's
1: going to get her lips done Her lip guy is Rob Reiner Yay! Yay
0: for Rob Reiner really?
1: Who we love, um, who seems to be her best friend. Yeah, well I
0: think she's there a lot. I think <laughs> yeah. Him and Ganilla. Yeah. He's <Heminganella>, yeah. <laughs> played by Maggie Smith. He's been playing an older woman since I don't yeah, know, the eighties. I did wonder that. I was just like we <laughs> I feel like like Maggie Smith just like completely bypassed babe and district attorney and went straight to really glamorous, I think this easy. Yeah. Like yeah, she went yeah. straight to McGonagall. <laughs> yeah. Cuz she she is essentially McGonagall on this but just with yeah. better outfits. Oh, she's so great. And like at this juncture, you've already mentioned it in your notes, but we haven't said it aloud. Mm-hmm. Cast. Cast is so good. Yeah. Every
1: single person is absolutely perfect for the role. I can't imagine anybody in this film being played by anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so good. Including cast member Aida Linares as Teresa, who is Cynthia's maid that she Aww. gives her set of pearls to, who is also
0: Lucy from Clueless. Shut up. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs>
1: So I had a look at her IMDb because I I thought she'd be a really good one for like an Unsung Legends like post or something, a la Pat Welsh. But um, there's actually so little, there's nothing about her. Like, I don't know anything about her. I had a look at her IMDb. And the only other film she's in that I recognised was Regarding Henry, which I believe she plays a maid. That seems to have been this is yeah, the a, roles that these so people would give to scared. Aida Linares. It's so rude. And she's great. Like, she is, in both Clueless and this, she's got, I don't know, two lines, three lines, and she is memorable.
0: Yeah, and she's she's memorable in this too, because the scene she has with um stalker chatting is genuinely touching. They have like maybe a minute and a half of screen time together where she gives her the pearls, like forces the pearls on her and like Mm -hmm. tells her, tells her to post the letters and also hands her the pearls. And she doesn't want to take them and then they and then they have this little moment and then she gives her a kiss and it's just it's just like genuinely touching. Do you know that's fascinating? I wish there was more info about her out there because I'd love to have a conversation with her. I bet she's like a fucking Uh Meisner-trained, like proper actress, and she just got cast as a maid three times because she's she's fucking Latina, and that's like yeah, that's just like sadly. I think
1: yeah, I think she may. I think she's passed away. Sadly, there's another scene in it that she's in, which is lovely. That they make a point of like panning back to her at Cynthia's funeral when Cynthia's ex-husband comes in with. Heather Locklear, his girlfriend, they've like cast Heather Locklear at the height of her fame, and she has no lines. There's no lines. I think some. Got, I think she had scenes that got cut because she's also. Oh no! I read something about this. She's not credited in the film because she had lines and they got cut. And then she was in an interview and she talks about the scene. Um, so they're sat at the front row of this funeral of his wife's funeral, and he's like fondling her breast.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: apparently, Heather Locklear didn't quite know exactly what he was going to do, so she was actually a bit like she later was like, "Oh no, nothing against the actor, I just didn't know you were going to do that in it." But if that's basically what I'm there to do, and I don't have any lines, take my credit out. Ew.
0: Which so. Yeah. Um, oh, that's gross. Who's the actor again that plays? Him? Um, um I don't know.
1: I don't think we've really seen him in anything no, since first place. Yeah, well good him. fucking I know. Because like, so he did, let's he be did come time. out and say like that it was it was in the script that he's like touching her breast, but he's like really like over her nipple. It's not, yeah, like, a side, like, it's, not like a side bib or something. No, no. So I it's... can see that as a woman, you probably would be expecting something like that and there's a big difference.
0: Yeah, there's no this. I don't like this story. There's something in there that's missing for me. like because it, it's a it's a a decision that it's been storyboarded or it's been worked out because it's uh the camera holds on it. It's like a mid shot yeah. where you just see her tit and his hand. And my default is to believe women, and I believe Heather Locklear, so it's just like, well, mm-hmm. something went wrong there. It yeah, kind of, it kind of felt like a bit of a backtrack. Was like, oh, it was in the script, so we just did it. Like no, like you have to discuss it and like you know what I mean. It's like. Ew, that's gross. It's not just down to him, it's down to the director as well. And the fact that, you know, there's also something in this which touches on the themes in our dissertation topics, which is that Heather Locklear has been employed in the movie to be Heather Locklear, which in the 90s, that was to be looked at. She is yeah. consistently cast again and again to do either slow motion walk into a room or just be herself. To the point yeah. that I actually wrote, oh, Heather Locklear, we really are not worthy as a reference yeah. to Wayne's World, which is exactly what she's cast yeah. to do. She to is, be. she is she, Elise Elliot. She is Elise Elliot. She's absolutely breathtaking. No one's denying that. But mm-hmm. just because of that fact doesn't mean that we then deny her her fucking humanity. This is and, true. and treat her like a prop, like a sexy prop. Mm. Ugh. This is a great week for me to be discussing these themes. So that's just crap. And also, just before we move off this, I'd just like to say in defense of Heather Locklear, she can act, by the way. She is funny and she's really sharp and she is far more than a nipple at a she funeral. Is. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Anyway, where um. were we? <laughs> We're talking about Aida. So she's in it.
1: There's another clueless link in this film. The obvious clueless link in this film is Dan Hedaya, who Mm -hmm. plays Morty and also plays Mel Horowitz. But also a slightly more shoehorned woman Is Bronson Pinchot, Who plays Eduardo Feliz And (laughs) um, at the time when Amy Heckerling was writing Clueless He was going out with Amy Heckerling And he is named after (gasps) Bronson Alcott Which is the
0: name of the high school that they all go to Very well done I think that's earned you your jingle That was another great Jackie's fan
1: I just thought it was it's worth being in there. He suggested it as the high school title for Clueless because Bronson Alcott was, like, one of the first, I want to say transcendentalists. He was oh, yes. very, like, pro-women's rights. He was Louisa May Alcott's father. So, like, the way that, like, in Little Women, they're in that very progressive for-the-time household. That was basically the way Louisa May Alcott was raised. Excellent work. So that's, uh, that's Duarto. <laughs> the, in the top
0: ten worst interior designers in New York City. <laughs> I noticed that you also clocked this because this film is just full of people we recognize yeah. from you know top to bottom. And JK fucking Simmons just is like a glorified extra. Yeah. Oscar winner. Oscar J.K. winner. JK Simmons. <laughs> Walks in and has no lines. He walks in as a cop to arrest Morty for his bad counting. Yeah, he's been cooking the books. Well, I noticed when it cuts away to the scene where he's being huckled in, because it's obviously, it, as it turns out, it's Uncle Carmine has. Yeah, yeah he's one of Uncle Carmine's But yeah, he's not in the, he's in the not handover in, yeah, scene. He's not in the handover scene. So he's literally just come in, no lines, handcuffs him, and then he walks out of frame. I, I, I don't know about you, but th- that was the most reassuring thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So it's like, oh. it's like one of the
1: most underused people <laughs> like, in the film. Like, don't you
0: worry, babe, you're gonna get an Oscar. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. gonna be like that guy, that guy.
1: And you could never have been any of the husbands, because you just wouldn't ever believe that of JK Simmons
0: No. Oh, I love JK Simmons. Yeah. Um, he really is phenomenal So that I thought that was fun And the other person of interest who's very important I feel in this movie Particularly in terms of Our reference to this being a proto-sex In the city is SJP
1: Yes and she is Truly horrible in it really? <laughs> she, You yeah. really hate her She could be Carrie Bradshaw 10 years earlier Before she learned any manners Whatsoever
0: I think she's like Carrie Bradshaw's id yeah. Like distilled All of Carrie's egomaniacal and materialistic superficial qualities taken out and then magnified. She's those aspects of Carrie, and that's it. That's Um, a good dissertation. The Carrie Bradshaw id as featured in First Wives Club. Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah, there's a lot of Carrie there. She, it feels very, because, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker, despite the fact that the perception in the general public eye would contradict this, She's a very serious actor. Like She's very academic and methodical and I have no doubt this would have been a, a character study for her. But it is very silly She's And she uh... plays
1: it To the absolute nines Like the scene that The first scene You meet her in Is when Brenda's With Duarto And shopping For an outfit To wear to her son's Bar mitzvah mm-hmm. And she's kind of Complaining that nothing In the shop fits her And she sees Her soon-to-be ex-husband Or ex-husband Morty And uh, he's with His girlfriend Shelley Who's played by SJP And SJP comes out Of the dressing room With like loads of Really expensive outfits And then She says something to Brenda Like why don't you go to another store Where they sell things in your size But the way she says it is like Find something in your size And she like puts her hands out And really like it's so mean It's so mean Yeah yeah, and it's horrible because Brenda's Bette Midler, and she's so witty and quick and feisty, and like she's just completely lost for words. Like she's just so embarrassed and so like just been punched in the gut, and it's it's really horrible. It's horrendous,
0: and uh, particularly when there's a thing established in the movie that Brenda's really. Self-conscious about her weight. Mm-hmm. It's referenced a couple of times. There's the pictures on the fridge, which you mentioned in your notes. Um, yeah, she's
1: got pictures on her freezer of very, very fat women. Yeah. That are obviously there to like shame her away from mm-hmm. eating ice cream. I get just because they're on the freezer, I would assume ice cream.
0: Yeah. And she yeah. the way she's dressed as well, like um her styling at the in the early part of the movie, it does change later on when she gets mm-hmm. a bit of confidence because when she gets a bit of confidence and she changes her wardrobe, she makes reference to the fact like she's like, I have a waist, I have legs who knew but prior to that her her wardrobe her costuming is very dowdy and very baggy yeah and tenty. It's very figure covering it's yeah. not remotely mm-hmm. figure hugging at all yep 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 um
1: yeah because when she's with duarto she's kind of joking about it she's like well it's just ridiculous none of this stuff's gonna fit me but she doesn't she's not feeling shit about it until shelly shames her and then it's not really we don't want women feeling bad about this anymore it's so shit and not helpful and useless and just making misogynist money and we don't want Bet Medler to feel any negative feelings about herself or anything. But I did think it was good that they didn't have like a dieting montage or anything. I don't no. I know I know that's a low bar, but I think in other films there would have been like, oh well, this is Brenda, like like she just, one day she just feels better about her body. Like she makes a reference to a suit fitting her and it hasn't, but they've I, not put her in a fat suit either. Like there are a few things that other films in the 90s would have done worse.
0: That's funny because I interpreted it later as if she just, she's just gaining confidence. That she actually hasn't it could just changed. Be that. It's like She's just throwing on something that is... Representative of how she's feeling better about herself. I okay. Mean, well, that's a much nicer reading. I had read it that she had lost
1: weight, but they just hadn't made a big deal about the how.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can but see actually, that. You know, I
1: like the, I like your reading of it better. That she's just feeling really good. She's got her pals back. Yeah. And she's got a sense of purpose and a sense of empowerment. And she's like, "Oh, I'm just going to put this suit on because I like myself in this suit." And yeah.
0: And I, I should point out, like, I'm, my... I'm not like this isn't me being clever or academic or anything like that. I am literally just assuming that because they didn't show me it, like they didn't show me yeah. in the movie her losing weight. So I was like, "Well, that can't have been the narrative." So I'm assuming that she's just gone. Well, I feel fucking better about myself, and I'm hanging out with my girl friends more I'm going to throw on this suit I haven't worn since 1992 and oh hey it fits I look great so it's just she might just have assumed it didn't fit or thought her waist I guess like
1: somebody leaves you for Sarah Jessica Parker who is the tiniest woman
0: I I can't even begin to tell you I hate how much I think Sarah Jessica Parker is perfect because I know it's wrong she's a tiny little woman she's what like five foot so like she's in proportion with someone who is that small and also is a famous actress and also used to be a dancer but there is something about Sarah Jessica Parker's body that just does me in it just does me in there
1: was there was there was a movement I think from your Cindy Crawford or your who was the one that was the body Elle McPherson, and yeah. there was that kind of like Amazonian gym women that you would get, and also like your Baywatch women. So there was a very sort of like hourglass, big boobs, curvy thing, mm-hmm. and then in the mid nineties, like mid nineties, like we switched over to like this super, super, super thin Sarah Jessica Parker type. And also I want to say like there's nothing wrong with any of these bodies. Sarah Jessica Parker looks like Sarah Jessica Parker yeah she that's her physique. I don't know if, if she's ever had an issue with her eating. I don't want to make any projection onto her about that. I think she was athletic. She's she was athletic.
0: Muscular. yeah she was a dancer yeah. and a Broadway person. she's just and tiny I think she's just she that looks just, like that that's just the way she looks. Yeah. It just so happens that it's phew.
1: that was the body that we have the way that like the Kardashian physique is well also doesn't really exist is is what we're trying to get to now but Sarah Jessica Parker, yes. Um, was was very much a physique that was desirable either to have or to date mm-hmm. at the time, and he has it, and it's very different to Bette Midler's also very desirable, sexy physique. Um, yeah, just it's not a physique that was being particularly celebrated by the media at this time.
0: I also think it doesn't matter if you're Bette Midler because I don't believe for a second, and I, I say this with a with a hint of hyperbole, obviously that Bette Midler has ever worried about that because she's Bette fucking Midler. Yeah.
1: I pity the fool who tries to make Bette Midler feel bad about herself about anything.
0: Yeah, like, Bette Midler breezes through this movie as the diva and icon that she is because she she delivers so many of her lines particularly in that scene in the clothes shop where she runs into morty she she delivers them yeah. like she is a broadway veteran about to burst into song yeah like she's marching around the shop like you've got a nerve it's like it's <laughs> yeah like <laughs> it's like, American, like why i oughta yeah she's just ready she's ready to fucking yeah. go and demonstrate to them that to everyone in the room like i'm bit midler and you have me on yeah. this movie yeah lucky motherfuckers um and also she and sarah Jessica
1: parker are, like sniping away each other and they are sisters they are sisters the hocus pocus <laughs> which was after before i think it was before this i think was they must before? have known each other
0: uh, you have asked in your notes how much does a set of Bulgari pearls go for? Yes. And I know that's a complete tangent, but I just need it's to a find tangent. out. I need to find out. The reason out. for
1: asking this is
0: Cynthia, when they're
1: graduating, Cynthia buys them all each a set of Bulgari Pearls. The very wealthy
0: women's friendship bracelet. <laughs> Listen, if you gave me a set of Bulgari pearls as a grad present, I feel I feel like we would be entering into some form of contract. I would never ever be able to not be your friend because you'd essentially be buying me. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. The average price of a who is about eleven thousand dollars. Okay. Well, and I'll just have to keep being nice to you then. And that's not like a full <laughs> string. That's like very contemporary looking necklace i, I want to see All right, hang on eleven thousand i probably won't ever buy you that what why not um i just i just don't like you enough <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so yeah we're looking at about 11 to thirteen thousand dollars. okay that gives us a real insight into into these women so, and where Cynthia they were at. Was very wealthy yeah, I mean, I can believe that Brenda was
1: at whatever fancy college they were at on merit and scholarship because you don't get. She's not from money, or it no, all, maybe well, she's from mob money, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think she's comfortable yeah. in a way that you know the families of gangsters can be. Yeah, it, it does also well. like um, fully give context to the line that um, Stalker Channing slash Cynthia has with Teresa the maid when she says, "Consider it a raise." When she's like trying to refuse the pearl necklace, they're like, "Oh yeah, it really is." Jesus Christ. I'm now on the Bulgari website, by the way. I've fallen down that rabbit hole. Okay. Come off the Bulgari website because
1: we have a (laughs) podcast to do and we're trying to do it structured and I'm not convinced it's going to come off in the edit.
0: I think it's going to be great. Right, we've covered our dissertation topics, covered our persons of interest. Hot takes. Hot takes. I don't know if I have any hot takes. That's okay. Mine are women slapping each other is actually quite funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah one of the three stoogiest scenes after the scene where they have to try and escape uh, Morty's apartment by going into the window cleaner's little like trellis thing and then falling down the side of the building is when they are at Elise's and Brenda and Elise have this big fight about one of them being a drunk and one of them being fat and then they slap each other and it's hilarious Like, yeah But they slap each other Not in a kind of like Really dramatic cat fight kind of way It's a real like slapstick Leaning back and just smacking each other And I thought it was hilarious And I was like well uh, There aren't enough movies Where women slap each other like this Yeah and
1: is it is there not kind of like a sweet thing Where like Elise slaps Annie But Annie's so sweet So like so then Brenda slaps Elise For slapping Annie Yeah it's <laughs> oh, really nice. It's, it's really, really funny nice in a weird way.
0: It's really slapsticky and really funny, and I, and I and I love the fact that there's something about the fact that it's happening couched and they are all very close friends, but yes, yeah. they are having a fight, and just and then they just start smacking the shit out of each other. I just find it very very funny. And the other hot take I have is I don't mind Elise being a drunk. Why do we think that might be? Um, probably because I relate to it. <laughs> Which brings me on to my question that I have, which is, in the same way that women have asked themselves since the show aired, are you a Miranda, a Carrie, a Samantha, or a Charlotte? Are you uh-huh. an Elise, a Brenda, or an Annie? And I would add Cynthia in, except we don't have time to get to know Cynthia, so I don't feel we don't like... We really know Cynthia. Yeah, so she I
1: sounds happy. like she was a great gal, though. Yeah. I think I think I am an end-of-film Annie. Okay. My reasons for which are being, she's the one who can read the accounts. I don't know how I keep <laughs> managing to, to shoehorn
0: accounting into these podcasts. Well, in fairness to you, it is another theme. Accounts yeah. Yeah. play a huge role in this movie, so it's <laughs> like Wake up and smell the audit. Exactly. <laughs> it was comedy written for you. Yeah,
1: it's everywhere. So she's the one who reads the accounts and she's also this is gonna make me sound like such a dick but um she's nice and people underestimate her niceness and she's absolutely terrified of conflict and i have been guilty of that and i've been guilty of kind of like using a nice oh i don't really want to get involved like i just like both of you like I can do that. Um, I think there's an argument for not getting involved when two friends are fighting, but like I think I am nice up to a point when I get pissed off, and then I will eventually grow back on when I need to. So I think I'm an Annie. I think I think I I think I, I, think I, I would like to be a Brenda, but I think I'm an
0: Annie. That's fair. Which one are you? Oh, I think. I mean, I like all of them. <laughs> I want. I wanted for this to come out better for me. I wanted to baby be an, a Brenda with an Annie rising, but okay. I'm actually an Elise. I am, I'm an Elise. I think you're an Elise with a Brenda rising. Yeah, I'll take that because it feels safe. Or a Brenda with an Elise
1: rising. I think, I mean, what, right, okay. I've just charged in here. What are your reasons?
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so well, there's the very superficial reasons. Uh, I'm an actor. I um, that makes me very insecure and mental about aging and the way I look I'm a chubby girl obsessed with being thin but I'm not really prepared to do anything about it so that's maybe where my Brenda Rising lives I'm probably a drunk <laughs> no um, I absolutely relate to the whole like being responsible for your own creative empire and uh, yeah. having men muscle in on that and uh-huh. having to get rid of them and I fucking love her hair. I'm obsessed with her hair. Well, and her you also wardrobe. have fantastic hair and wardrobe. There's something about the way she frames the work she's getting done on her face at the top of the movie. And I should point out that I am in no way in a a person who is interested in that. Like I'm not like someone who would ever get work done. but the the way that her character approaches it with the with Rob Ryder is that she's just like, She's just so frank about it, and so like, this is what I want. This is the way I yeah. want to look. Just fucking put it in me. I want Mick Jagger, the bigger the bit. Like it's just so no holds barred. That I, I just kind of, I love its honesty, and <laughs> I love the way it's sort of like <laughs> paraded about as for comic effect. Yeah, movie after that moment happens, but not in a way that feels detrimental. to least in a weird way, like it just yeah, feels like yeah, I got this. Well, done. there's no shame attached. Yeah, to it, there's no shame which attached, which I think is it. nice.
1: And I think that's an interesting thing in this film is, you know, there's a lot of chat. I mean, there's a lot about aesthetics that Annie, nobody really talks about how Annie looks tall, um or Mm -hmm. Cynthia, but then there's like, there is that, that is kind of the difference between Brenda and Elise is, Elise is, you know, looks amazing and it's getting her lips done and she's like, this is just, you know, it's just, it's routine maintenance. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. And, but still... is very insecure about the fact that she's aging. And then you have Brenda, who's uh, very susceptible to fat shaming, unfortunately. And what one of the things I think it's interesting is at no point is Elise shamed for having work done. And I think that's right. I think there's like the, the kind of semi thing is like when they're going into the funeral and Ganilla's like those lips. And then... Um, <laughs> She sits across the aisle from Brenda, who's sitting with Duarto, and he's like, oh, she looks amazing. Has she, do you think she's had anything done? And he and Brenda says, honey, she's a quilt. <laughs> and she says it loud enough that Elise hears. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just making too much of it, but it's played for comic effect. And I think that's fine. But I think it is something that has filtered through. To today's society, where I think Botox has, in some circles, in our humble town of Glasgow, where it is just like everybody does it. And, like obviously that's not true because you and I don't do it. And I've also heard I was uh, listening to Sally Hughes, I think, she's a beauty journalist for The Guardian, um, and she was talking to Fee and Jane on their podcast. Fortunately, she was talking about it, and she was like, "Well, yeah, I get it done. That's my choice." It's as with anything that you're getting done to yourself, like find somebody that you trust who's going to do a good job. But yeah, this is something I get done. It's my money. I can do what yeah. I want. It makes me feel good. Just like, I don't know, getting your teeth whitened or getting a wax or mm-hmm. anything. You know, it's like, there's a point at which it's like, well, it is your body. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. As long as you're not getting it because somebody's shamed you into getting it. So she compared it to getting like your graze dyed.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, then if you want to get really fucking dickhead academic about it couldn't you argue that mm. no matter which way you look at it you are being shamed into doing it because the non-shamed attitude would be to do nothing at all but we live yes. in a society in a society that goes yeah but you need to be thinner and you need to look younger and you should buy this makeup and this skincare product and this and that and you shouldn't your hair shouldn't go gray even though it's supposed yeah. to like all of the things that we're trying to fight against are supposed to happen so technically yeah. We're so steeped in it. Like, we're literally steeped in it. We're steeped in shame, no matter yeah. which how confident we well, yeah. are.
1: It's um, all about, yeah, it's like we can, you and I are both card-carrying feminists.
0: I've lost not my Not averse name. to
1: a, yes, <laughs> not averse to a high horse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we both like to dress nice. We both put makeup on of an occasion, <laughs> um, wear the high heels like not all the time and like but we both do it like and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of women do it most women yeah. do it to some extent so I I, th- I guess her her argument was like well this is just another thing yeah and I think that's fine I think it's that that's her choice she's not telling anyone else they should do it she's like I do it because it makes me feel better Absolutely. And I think that's fine the point at which it becomes problematic is when people feel like they have to be doing it they feel like if you have frown lines, you're just a terrible person. Yeah. And then we saw such an extreme version of it with um, the story that everyone I'm sure will be familiar with by now of Khloe Kardashian having one unfiltered, unphotoshopped picture of herself mm-hmm. released on the internet. And it caused the woman a full a full breakdown from the sounds of it. It just sounded like she was not ready for there to be an undoctored picture of her out or a picture where she wasn't yeah posed the right way so not even without a filter but just like it wasn't the way that she wanted herself presented to the world in two dimensions and that's when it becomes there is there is a happy medium yeah to be found in trying to make yourself look nice um and the kardashians have
0: i thought that um, was um ruined it I pre- well, I thought that for that very reason, that was a particularly interesting cultural moment because it was like, I don't know if I'm using this idiom correctly, but it was like the snake eating its own tail because it was, it's yeah. like her breakdown was the product of something she created or wasn't complicit Mm -hmm. in creating because the kardashians their whole thing their whole business model is structured around creating a fantasy and perpetuating a fantasy so those those women don't look like they did at the start they've had their entire faces have been reconstructed they are products of every expensive age-defying look a certain way pose for a picture Mm -hmm. filter known to man like they are complete they they don't exist the Kardashians are a brand they're not people and their entire world and who they are as people is the people are the brand the brand of the people so they've become this sort of like no wonder she had a breakdown because having an unfiltered photo out in the world probably made her have an identity crisis because if she's not what she's been presenting to the world since they entered the public sphere then who is she because they have nothing else they are they are literally what they present and sell mm-hmm. so they are they're an extremely toxic bizarre product of our fucked up culture so yeah it's that's to me was such an interesting moment because I was like you don't know how to deal with this because what it is doing it is counter to everything that you have structured around who you are it's, mm-hmm. uh, Despite the
1: fact that uh, it seemed like the vast majority of people who saw the picture saw it as a really humanizing
0: yeah but they they're thing, like, not interested oh
1: you look like you look a lot more like me than i thought you did
0: that doesn't that and doesn't that makes you feel better yeah that doesn't sell cosmetics that's that's counter no. to the business model that's it's, that's it's, damaging it, for it, their it was failing at making people feel bad about themselves yeah. and that is literally what they manufacture is self hate yeah. self hate yeah. pays the kardashians wages and yes. if they don't do that then they fucked the brand I know and it's
1: it's sad that it obviously affects so many women and it's also tragic that it's kind of reflected back on one of them as well actually reminds me there was a short story that I read when I was a child so like before Instagram before filters we were still taking film pictures of each other at this point point. Is a short story, it was like a children's story by one of the Monty Python, I think it might have been Terry Jones, wrote a book of children's stories, and one of them was about a queen, a very vain queen who, I think she pissed off a wizard or something, but he gave her an enchanted mirror, and she was like the most beautiful woman in the land, but when she looked into the mirror it showed her a more beautiful picture of herself. And she became obsessed with it, so she kept trying to look like herself in the mirror, I guess using another mirror. So but the more beautiful she got, the more beautiful the image got. And then, you know, she like was mad or something. But it was I just thought it was quite prescient. Yeah, that's that's Chloe.
0: That's yeah. Chloe right there.
1: That is Chloe. And then her I think the king then fell in love with the mirror and it was a whole it was a whole issue.
0: And that <laughs> and that is Elisa's storyline throughout most of the movie, up until, yeah. you know, the sisterhood kind of gets her back on track. Her entire thing is like scene after scene of her getting drunk and yeah, panicking about being cast as an older woman. Um, she's mm-hmm. getting really upset about being asked to play a mother. I'm sorry, I was starting to get I was starting to get cast in those roles when I turned thirty, and there's all this stuff about like she has this scene where she's drunk at the bar with uh, the actor who plays Gil Chesterton and Fraser. He's the bartender In this scene That's right I was trying to please him <laughs> Who by the way cast? Who by the way Is from New York He's a native New Yorker But for some reason Keeps getting cast In parts where he has A British accent He always gets cast As a Brit. I just think he was British <laughs> So did we That's why I know that Because I googled it I was like Is he British <laughs> And she's having this moment At the bar with him Where she's like dr- Slurring her words And drunkenly talking About Sean Connery And she's like yeah. Sean Connery is Monique Monique being the, the Elizabeth Berkeley role in the movie. Yeah, uh, is Winnie's boyfriend, and he's like 300 years old. And he's still a stud. Like, and it's just like, oh god, there's so much. So like, that's yeah. Elise's whole thing in this movie. Yeah. Which, All right. So, in answer uh, to your question, <laughs>
1: <laughs> This question oh. that we asked three hours ago. Oh god, I need more Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, I've got my some back. special P. Yeah, same. <laughs> Right, so we've covered uh, which wives we think we are, as well as a couple of. I don't know if they're hot takes because people have had all of the takes about the Kardashians in the last few weeks, but. That's true. There are at least room temperature takes.
0: Well, okay, so in that case, pop culture references of the time. Mm. Feels like a good one. A bunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a fun one
1: when Gilbert and Heather Locklear come into the funeral mm-hmm. And Brenda calls them the vampire Lestat and Lewis And that's a reference to Interview with the Vampire So Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in that film slash book Which is a book I'm reading, which Louise lent me So that's that was a fun one So I was like, <laughs> oh I know that Most of the pop culture references like all of the time, things were probably at the party that they have for the opening of their crisis center at the end of the film. Yeah. So Ed Koch is there; who was a former mayor of New York City. Gloria Steinem is there. Yeah. Um, she's being uh, gesticulated at furiously by Duarto <laughs> and <laughs> Ivana Trump. Yes. Which is an interesting one, and um, because she's kind of shown as like the she she has the famous line of
0: Don't get mad, to get everything.
1: Yes. And she's always kind of been held up as like, oh, this is how you get divorced. You get everything. Um, but to give a little bit of context to Ivana's having got everything and on a note, she did accuse Donald Trump of rape. And oh, OK. It sort of resurfaced during his presidential campaign. By the time when they were divorcing, when, they were, when that whole thing was going on, she recounted an instance where he raped her and pulled out tufts of her hair. And um, it settled, and she signed a statement that was prepared by Donald and his lawyers, in which she said it was something like, "I didn't mean rape in the literal or criminal sense." There was no, nothing in the statement about what sense she did mean rape in, but I suppose that wasn't necessary uh, for their purposes. And she signed it, so she can't ever talk about it again. And she can't write about it. It's like she's basically complete denial of that. And wow. she did get a very nice settlement. So let's quickly look up. She got like $14 million and $14 million, a 45-room Connecticut mansion, an apartment in the Trump Plaza and the use of Mar-a-Lago for one month a year. So this is, wow. it should be noted that this is a thing and it's really, a, I think it's a thing in America uh, which we've, we kind of talked about alimony and things, but also in terms of sexual assault charges. And it was something that was a big thing with Weinstein. There were a huge number of women who had accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault and rape prior to his conviction. And prior to the Me Too movement in 2017, there was so much precedent Um, and women who had accepted settlements, who had been represented by Gloria Allred, and they they were generally advised to just take a settlement because, you know, if he goes to jail, you don't get any money, and he probably won't go to jail, so you could be left with nothing, you'll never work again. So it's interesting that as much as, you know, she's there, but they're not a revenge trio anymore. They're a crisis, it's a crisis centre for, I think it's like family counselling, abandoned women, and... uh, an, an abuse
0: intervention yeah send your notes you were very you were very thorough you wrote it down counselling family therapy and abuse intervention
1: yeah um, so I just thought it was interesting that Ivana is there and I don't know if there is anything behind that because there there is some problematic men in the making of this film as well but It's just worth noting that I just thought it was an interesting pop culture thing from That was 1992, so that was A few years before this came out, so this has all Apparently come out in the wash now, but actually it's just been Painted over by Trump and his lawyers Yeah, Because I am assuming that her original Account of events was the right one, given what we know About Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, fuck yeah, of course Yeah, like, yeah And, you know, like
1: since that's happened, a lot of women have accused him of doing terrible things that he basically has said he probably did, and nothing bad has happened to him. So she probably got as much as she was ever going to get. Like
0: yeah. so. Ooh, Nelly. Yeah. yeah. So that that was a. Uh,
1: I just thought worth raising.
0: Absolutely. No, you know, you know yeah. me. Um, I don't know oh, what my
1: point is.
0: I suppose the, the point is that whenever we watch '90s movies maybe one out of five is going to have a trump in it a trump or a trump mm-hmm. reference so you know we're now in a point where we can't really we can't really watch them without a trump trigger so yeah because they were so like ubiquitous it's like let's just bang a trump in the movie and like it's a very 90s yeah. thing and that now it's a very nineties thing we are yeah. reaping what we sowed in terms of just allowing them to just appear
1: yeah and like if I had a hasn't ever done anything to
0: upset no, no, no. me this apart is from not... like sorry raise a
1: bunch of terrible children
0: yeah this is not but... a, a dig necessarily yeah. Havana um I I, I class Ivana as a survivor as much as anyone else um yeah but uh, yeah Fucking hell. Uh, My pop culture reference of the time, speaking of what 90s movies... Oh, you're going to have a fun one, aren't you? (laughs) I'd have to to be such a pooper. Uh, The buttery soul R&B music, the non-diegetic buttery soul R&B music that is common in 90s films, where it's not even really in tone with the film, it's just fucking there. And the triumphant uh, buttery soul song at the top of the difficult third act, so they've had their fight and they've all sort of split apart, and there's this, like, ballady R&B number. That is Love Is On The Way by Billy Porter, and it was the first single he ever released. Oh. And it's used... By Billy Porter? By Billy Porter. From, from Pose. From Pose, yes. <laughs> That's great. So I'm sorry, Jackie's Facts, but today... Uh. We need to get
1: you a jingle. I actually nearly bought a kazoo this week, so I was going to write you one, and I wrote oh, one in my head.
0: That's so cute. So it was the first single released by Billy Porter, Um, for those of you who don't know, the uh, Tony Award-winning actor who is also in Pose. um, And he was studying vocal technique with Tina Schaefer, who wrote the song. His big break came it, Well the song's big break came When it was showcased at a party uh, Someone had for Bette Midler uh, That Porter was singing at And uh, she was handed a note on a cocktail napkin Saying can you please submit this song To the First Wives Club Which oh. which just further Supports my point that Bette Midler Is always in charge <laughs> Yeah
1: everybody who is where Bette Midler is Is there at her
0: pleasure Yeah exactly so including It would be here, Billy Porter Quite rightly uh, <laughs> Quite rightly That That's a match made in heaven anyway So that's fine Yeah And also just at this juncture I was so delighted to learn that Because I adore him so much I love him I worship him I'm obsessed with Billy Porter And then my other pop culture references of the time Lesbians Yes let's talk about the lesbians Lesbians are great nowadays <laughs> but The line nin- from the film le- The 90s <laughs> was kind of obsessed with lesbians In a way that is It's is, is worth remarking upon. And it was the only way somebody could credibly be a feminist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it almost feels like as well that the lesbian plotline for Annie's daughter is also the way in which they kind of create a bit of a dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. Because okay. I feel like the lesbian as, as code for feminist is what uh-huh. allows that scene between... <laughs> at the top of the movie between her and Annie where she's basically shit-talking who her mother is sleeping with and then we discover it's her dad. Yeah, which um, is good. Yeah, which is great. It's a great bit of writing. But I feel like there's something about the... And this is further sort of outlined when when the three of them, Brenda, Elise and Annie, go to the, the club, the lesbian club yeah. together. Uh, and Annie says, it's very woman-identified. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and um, a great cameo from... Uh, Oh God, what's the actor's name? And Orange is New Black. Big Boo. I don't know what the actor's name is. It's she's great. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Leah Delaria. Uh, credited with being The first openly gay comic To appear on American television With her 93 appearance On the Arsenio Hall show So yes. she's been She's been kicking around Since Since the 90s As Emily Yeah there's a, The fact she she's ca- in The First Wives Club Yeah she shows up in things I'm sure she's been in Yeah she's I mean she But she's She appears in things As this Like this is the gag Yeah she plays Butch lesbian Butch
1: lesbian In yeah. everything she shows up in Yeah and she's great
0: Yeah she is great And she's got a great bit To do here it is, It's so much fun The scene between her And Goldie Hawn is is great Yeah so lesbians is the pop culture The other pop culture reference for me Well it's kind of nice
1: I think it was uh, Chris who's Annie's daughter She kind of breaks the cycle She helps to break the cycle Of the forgiveness of terrible men Because Aaron Who is Annie's ex-husband Is just such a shit Like he manipulates her To absolutely no end He's Mm -hmm. a gaslighting prick And he's also an incredibly weak man. Yeah. And Annie makes lots of excuses for him. And I think one of the things that doesn't help matters is the fact that her mother does the same thing. So she has gleaned her attitude towards men and the men, potentially maybe the types of men that she goes for from her mother. And perhaps because her daughter isn't inclined towards men and being gay, realising she's gay in the 90s, not that it's ever easy to come out, but this was not an easy, good time where gay people were being treated well. And she questions what society is telling us about men and what we should be expecting of their behaviour. And I think that that helps to break the cycle because she's she is already in Annie's ear saying this is mm-hmm. you're better off with it and stay away. And Annie comes around to her thinking by the end of the film, which is really nice. And I think the dynamic between them is really nice because as much as Annie's reaction to her coming out isn't textbook perfect. She is also probably quite a good picture of somebody doing their best. Yeah. When, at a time when people didn't really know what they were supposed to do.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Annie's the one... We haven't really talked about Annie, and I, I think that's maybe because Annie's the one that's probably the most human, because she's not Bed Mid- Midler or Goldie Hawn.
1: Yeah. She's, she's not the, big.
0: Yeah, she's like, the magnificent Diane Keaton, because yeah. she's she's played by a big actress, and by big I mean someone with serious, serious gravitas and chops and ability and charm and mm. talent. But in terms of the dynamic of the three, she probably has the most down to earth and realistic sort of, I don't know. It's not arc I'm looking for, but there's just something slightly less. I think it's cartoony about her. Well, she's the one who's in the most denial. That well, She's in complete denial that her
1: marriage is failing. Yeah. So Elise and Brenda are quite big characters who are, this is a disaster. He's the worst He's with this woman, she's the worst. Mm-hmm. And I'm having a horrible time. Like, fuck my life. And yeah. they're at this lunch after the funeral. And Annie's basically like, oh, well, you know, everything's great. He's just a great guy. We're great. Um, I mean, we're like, we're kind of separated, but like, it doesn't matter. And then they just burst out laughing. And and she just she wants to believe it's working, and she's got that whole thing where she's doing everything right. She's done all of the right things. She doesn't have flaws that. You would think would affect the marriage because you don't have to do anything wrong for relationships to fall apart. Yeah, and she's the one whose identity is the most wrapped up in being married.
0: Yeah, and I think for her as well, there's something just kind of like schlocky plot line that her husband is sleeping with her therapist aside, which is fucked up and plotty. But. Yeah. Even without that, there's something far more insidious about the way he treats her. Because the other mm-hmm. two, Dan Hadaya and um, Victor Garber, they have like very black and white, broad strokes like the movie producer who's sleeping with the young ingenue and the guy who's having mm-hmm. a midlife crisis who runs off with yeah. Jessica Parker. But what Diane Keaton's husband's character does, is much more insidious and much more damaging because it's all rooted in like, I love you and you know, and and I do think you're special, but you know, I just I just need to um, have some distance. It's all it's all rooted in emotional manipulation and yeah. gaslighting, and making the woman in the in this this dynamic feel like she is going crazy with analysing what's wrong and needing to fix it. This wasn't just a kiss. Hey, Annie, don't be childish. You know how you manipulate me. What manipulate? When I, I... he knows exactly what he's gonna do, and mm-hmm. she's she's constantly in this state of vulnerability it's horrible to the point where when we do get this scene I I think you know in 90s movie terms it's meant to be slightly funny that he's sleeping with Mm his therapist but actually that like moment that Diane Keaton plays out where she just loses it is actually extremely painful to watch because you feel the humiliation and you feel the pain of it yeah it's great
1: she draws such a
0: good line that she toes between having like a
1: really understandable, justified fit, yeah, and. It's also It's quite funny Yeah Because her whole thing Is that she's so Overly apologetic You know when she's At lunch with her Old friends that she's Not seen forever Like they've clearly Made absolutely zero Efforts to get in Touch with her But she's like Oh I'm sorry I should have Tried harder Like I should have Blah 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 And then they Kind of take the Piss out of her For sending newsletters Every Christmas So she clearly Was doing something Yeah And she just has Like a completely Overactive guilt complex I wonder why Aaron mm-hmm. uh, And also Annie's mum But when she finds out That he's sleeping With the therapist She does like this Oh I'm sorry
0: no, no, Annie, you are not helping us out here. Now, I am sorry that this well, so hasn't am I, this way. I am very sorry I ever met you, and I am
1: sorry that I allowed myself to love you for all those years. I am sorry I did nothing but be there for you every minute of every day and support you in your every mouth! Annie's husband actually hasn't, at the start of the film, he hasn't left her for a younger woman. That happens later. He's mm-hmm. basically just left because he's not ready to commit or he needs space and... I hope that there are women out there who haven't experienced this, but I don't know anyone who hasn't gone out with someone unless you're going out with your high school sweetheart. I don't know anyone who hasn't gone out with or pursued somebody or liked somebody who has made you feel like the reason that you're not together or the reason that they're not doing what they should be doing is because you have in some way asked for something that you actually completely deserve. Yeah. By which it means like, you know, I've, I had a fight with an ex-boyfriend in my early 20s where he cancelled a plan. He basically just actually didn't turn up for a date and then told me I was being very demanding when I got pissed off about it two okay. days before I went travelling for a couple of months. Yep. So it's a tale as old as time mm-hmm. and I'm very sorry that Annie had to be in her, I'm guessing, 40s yep. before she had that flip.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Hard degree. What I would like to suggest we do now is that we're coming to the end of our list of headlines. Yeah. What does The First Wives Club mean to you, Jackie Farmer? Um the import so what The First Wives
1: Club means to me is the importance of female friendships at all ages because it's a film about how women have how these three women have found themselves again through the th- through their through their platonic soulmates. And had they not lost touch in those years or had they had other women they were close to, maybe they wouldn't have put up with such foul treatment for so long and wouldn't have felt so lost, so bad about themselves. I just think that when I think about so as a single woman, I'm aware of why people are afraid to be single and it's, it's loneliness And I think that when you have the close female friendships and some some close male friendships, when you have close platonic friendships, the way that I'm lucky enough to have I genuinely never worry about loneliness now or in the future. I wish close female friendships on all women and I wish them on men too because I think it makes them better men. So that's what the film means to me. It's just just that I think that the fact that the last scene of the film is them sitting at a party that they've thrown, being a bit drunk, having a dance, just the three of them is the crux of the film and I'm waffling now but I just love it. It makes me gush and I love it.
0: No, you're not waffling. I... I completely agree I have no notes that's the main one for me um, I find the moment where they finally receive Cynthia's letters and read them mm-hmm. genuinely devastating like I burst into tears mm. mainly because there were there was two things like I, I can I think one of the things that makes me saddest about the movie is knowing that when you go into it at the top they've been estranged for a really long time and that's something that makes me really sad and there's something incredibly beautiful but also like bittersweet because it's beautiful but it's also so devastating that in Cynthia's weakest moment where she decides that she makes a decision on a permanent solution to a temporary problem so she decides mm-hmm. to take her own life and in the process of doing that the people she thinks about are Elise, Brenda and Annie and she writes them letters yeah. and there is something about that that really just touches yeah she's me in the gut and then from that moment you 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 you're not really given the weight of it until they get the letters because you don't know like if you're not paying attention and you haven't you're watching the movie for the first time Cynthia handing the letters to the maid that it just doesn't become apparent until much later what that moment meant yeah um get it. yeah so the weight of that sat with me it's that very heavy with me because it's like and i wish i'd written it down there's something that the letters say i can't re- i can't remember and i didn't write it down and i'm feeling uh very remiss for that right now something that um she signs off in her letter that just like pushed me over the edge The the pain of p- potentially losing a friend mm-hmm. is like something i am fortunate enough not to have experienced yet and. Uh, that to me just feels like it would be, Like it just like beyond horrendous. Like to me, I'd be like, How do you recover from that? The film uses it as a plot device, but does so quite well because what it's basically doing is is this Cynthia dies in order to bring them back together. And they they themselves are sinking. Elise and Brenda and Annie are sinking in a similar way. Yeah,
1: they're at a specific point when they really do need each other.
0: Yeah, and and Cynthia's death is used as a plot device to sort of bring them back from the brink and bring them back together. So this again, this is getting very dissertation topic-y. But there is something in that thematically that just touched something inside me that really broke my heart. But in a way... That by the time you get to the end And they're in those beautiful white suits And they're singing You don't own me It's like It's not necessarily a sacrifice Worth making I, su- I should say at this point I'm not in any way condoning suicide But there It would have been Yeah We would prefer that Cynthia Had just yeah. owned the three of them
1: And yeah. they would have done What girlfriends do Which is even if You've not chatted for a while Or you're in a stupid fight About something Like if somebody gets dumped At any age You're over there with a bottle of wine Ready to bitch about that guy Because yeah. Um I, saw, I remember seeing like there's somebody I on Instagram, just an artist called Kim Thompson, but she does like these really great meme dumps on her on her stories. And one of them was one that was said, my friend could be a ladder full of rats and she'd still be too good for Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that just is very my attitude to any friend's yeah. new boyfriend for at least six months unless he does something really spectacular. And it's not fair, And sometimes
0: th- it is fair. 100%. Again, agree. But and I think <laughs> that's what, something that's so interesting about this movie is that it highlights and brings home the value. And we've talked about this before on the podcast about chosen yeah. family and friendship. And and I think you look at that moment with Cynthia and, and to write down to the point where she's writing a letter, like what is she like in the 1700s? Like... Yeah. It's something a bit like pick up the phone, Cynthia. I know. Like if these women it just are. would have on been a different film. <laughs> I know. I know. Hey, we don't. You know, <laughs> Cynthia needs to do this to propel us into the rest of the movie. Yeah. I do understand that, but unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. but there is an element of like, I am so grateful to the wonderful, strong, awe inspiring women I have in my life. Yourself, absolutely, one hundred percent, are in the top five, yeah. and it's like, just so babes. it's like. Those relationships are in and of themselves a form of marriage. They are a form of structure and support. And there's this idea, like we don't need to write letters and hand pearls to the maid and then throw ourselves off a balcony because we have each other. Which is, yeah. which is basically the message of the movie. It just takes a really long time to get around there. Yeah. So I suppose that. I mean, what none of these are things
1: are in my power to do, <laughs> having neither a maid nor pearls. And they live on the first floor.
0: Yeah, if you jump out the window, you'll probably land like spry, like a superhero, and crack the concrete because you know you're a strong. That's very head. nice
1: of you. I'm sure I'd
0: at least. I'm sure I'd break my legs. Maybe not both of them. I don't. <laughs> it just fun. Maybe just, try. Maybe just a mild fracture. I'm not um, going to do it. Please don't. At least not tonight. I'll call you. I will call you <laughs> Call me Please do it I will, I will, uh, I'm will I'll, on the Bulgari website As we speak Trying to look for a necklace for you <laughs> I finally got your pearls Can you please come and help me now I need a hug I had to remortgage the flat Here are your <laughs> fucking pearls um, <laughs> Come and talk about boys with me now please <laughs> Alright 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 Fangirl 5 You go first Okay, so my favorite quote—it's a toss-up. It's again, it's Elise. It's a toss-up between I drink because I am a sensitive and highly strung person, and no, uh, that's why your co-stars drink. That's my- <laughs> Yeah, and uh, also I also really really enjoy—it's uh, it's another Elise quote. She's like flinging the drink and she spills it everywhere. And she says, I do have feelings, I'm an actress, I have all of them. Those, I think I really, really like those two quotes, because again, I I just stan Elise in a big way.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Mine is, wake up and smell the
0: audit. Of course it is.
1: Favourite scene is the dance at the end, 100%. Yeah. That and the first time they do it and Annie doesn't want to sing by herself And then the second time they do it at the end of the film and she's like, yeah, I'll do my solo. Yeah. And they do their choreographed dance Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: they're just all feeling great. I love that scene. Yeah. It's an iconic scene. It's my favourite scene.
0: I mean, it is the best scene. So as a counter to that, just to offer something different, uh, I think I will go with um, the scene in Elisa's apartment where they slap each other. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Uh, favourite outfit? Um, so my favourite outfit is when Annie goes to meet Erin for like, the dinner where she thinks they're going to reconcile.
0: Oh.
1: And she's wearing a floor-length blazer dress. Mm-hmm. It's a floor-length mm-hmm. black blazer dress.
0: Black blazer dress. <laughs> Over the teeth and through the lips.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> she just looks really beautiful yeah. and it's a really specific style that Diane Keaton seems to just nail every time and um, but that's my favorite,
0: that's my mm-hmm, favorite outfit mm-hmm. oh I think it's going to be again no surprise it's an Elise number I love this mad outfit that Elise is wearing in the auction scene um Elise has got this kind of like when they're at was it Christie's that the auction house and they're selling yeah. off everything all of the uh, Victor Garber stuff and it's this yeah. kind of sublime a very structured thick silk William Morris print blouse with uh with a sort of structured collar and then I think it's like a little waistcoat over it it's just it's a bit of a wild card choice but I loved it so much it actually made it into my notes yeah I wrote down Elisa's auction outfit is ridiculous and sublime <laughs> favorite actor favorite actor
1: oh my gosh what a sophie's choice <laughs> i'm gonna say Stockard channing
0: nice nice
1: who plays cynthia because she is in one scene and she just kills it she breaks your heart she
0: really does Stockard channing
1: man Yeah, I love her She's She's great great. She looks like the way Like how sad she is How drunk Like you can tell She's really drunk But it's not played For comic effect Mm -hmm. And then Like there's this line Where she's on the balcony And um, Diane Keaton's Doing the kind of voiceover and it's something about like, well, when Cynthia decided to do something, she just went and did it. And she has like this, then this like triumphant look crosses her face. And then that's it. Actually, you don't see her jump. You don't see Yeah. there's nothing graphic about it. It's just like she flicks a cigarette off the balcony and has a smile. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And you know exactly what she's gonna do. You know exact you get exactly how she's feeling. It's I don't know, what
0: three minutes maximum
1: that she yeah. is on the
0: screen. And it's it's
1: just wonderful. It's just such such good acting.
0: Yeah. Her like that moment where she's leaning, she comes out onto the balcony and she's in her fur coat with the fag and the gin and uh and she looks up at that the Peloton bitch on like, yeah. like the next floor over. And there's just like everything about it, the way it's shot, the way she looks, just the way she's carrying herself. It's yeah, you're that was an excellent call, Jackie Farmer. Very good yeah. call. Um I can't top that, so I'm just gonna say my uh favourite actor after Stockard Channing has got to be Elizabeth Berkeley. Okay, Phoebe LaBelle. Yeah. She kills it. <laughs> just absolutely just kills it. To tie but tie it back into my dissertation. Favourite character. Favourite character. Um favorite character. Uh gosh, that's a hard
1: one. I love them all i'm just gonna say annie i'm rooting for annie all the way through the film i want her to succeed you're watching her the first few scenes and you're watching her through the eyes especially i think of her daughters almost like the audience of like why are you giving this person the time of day and to see her reach her breaking point even though i'm sorry that so many things had to happen for her to get there And then at the end When Erin wants to come back And she tells him to drop dead And even though like everything he says to her Would have been music to her ears Even halfway through the film Yeah, Annie, I love Annie Excellent,
0: mine is a A close run between Annie's mum And Uncle mm-hmm. Carmine Not Elise Elliot? <laughs> no Oh, Okay <laughs> No, obviously, no, obviously, Elise Elliot is my favorite character. Yeah, Elise is one hundred percent my favorite uh, character. But honorable mention to Uncle Carmine and Annie's mom. Yeah. All right. So now this is going to be fun. We're going to do. We're going to have to harvest our notes to see what we did not cover. You start. Well, mine is fuck you, Scott Rudin. (laughs) Do we want to go into that? Google it, listeners. Fuck you, Scott Rudin fuck you you're not
1: invited onto the podcast even though we know you're
0: dying to be here yeah (laughs) you better lay low son (laughs) the
1: cast the cast the cast the cast the cast find me a better casted film i'll
0: wait Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) the actress playing young brenda her name is michelle brilliant that's just worth mentioning
1: a few steps behind yours and just saying Are the younger actresses Dubbed? Surely they are And then I can see A note from you Next it saying
0: Yes Yes they are
1: Where is Stockard Channing I miss her Lol at
0: how much Chris hates her dad <laughs> Do you know what Yeah Lol at that Because I felt that Like I felt like The actress Fucking hated him Like <laughs> I suspect it's in all of Goldie Hawn's contracts to get lit in a certain way. Oh, my goodness, she's
1: just so pretty.
0: She's breathtaking. She's such a
1: beautiful woman. She is
0: breathtaking, and she—I noticed this when you come in on that first scene with her in the plastic surgeon's chair. She is lit in the same way she's lit in *Death Becomes Her*. I just noticed that. It's just like that—that soft, oh. like Morticia Adams light like, over her eyes, like just in her eyes. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, is that her contract? I just. <laughs> How obsessed I am with Goldie Hawn's hair in this movie. Yeah, I have a note about that as well. I said,
1: Elise's shag haircut, yes, please.
0: Yeah, it's I, uh, I got
1: my haircut yesterday and I referenced it to my hairdresser and she was like, oh, really? And she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she was like, is that what you want to do? I was like, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know that I do like that haircut, but I don't want it yet. Yeah, I'm not ready for no, that. I'm not, I'm not there
0: yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> oh. Brenda has a line that demonstrates that she was ahead of her time in terms of campaigning for fashion designers to be size inclusive because she makes a mm. comment about uh, who's going to wear that fetus when they're yeah. walking past Fifth Avenue shops with couture yeah. designers in and she makes a comment about um, things fitting regular women. I was like, ah, there's Brenda. Making a comment that is quite ahead of her time in 1996 showing that Phoebe is at Elisa's play that thing that elise is obsessed with is overcome so she overcomes the the pitted against the younger women us and them thing and then takes um, phoebe under her wing which is really nice
1: there's also a removed storyline from the film where it's kind of mentioned at the end of the film that Elise uh, is going out with one of her co stars. Oh. But actually, there was an entire storyline where she has a younger man as her love interest, and he's played by John Stewart oh. of The Daily Show before Trevor Noah, but he got cut.
0: I think you've earned your jingle again. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's fat. I really feel like I'm not getting it as much these days, I'm losing it. Uh. <laughs> um, Annie's mum. When the the letters from Cynthia come in, makes a comment about how it's such pretty stationary and I felt like that is exactly what my wee mum would say. What? Who's Oscar? Is that?
1: I am so glad Goldie Hawn is being treated like the queen she is by Kurt Russell. What a pair of
0: studs! Yep. No notes. I mean, I have one in here that says "men are stupid." That's all it says. But I feel like the whole podcast has covered that. Hashtag not all men. That I think sending a hanging plant is a lovely idea. Listen to okay. your mother. At the Cynthia Swan <laughs> Centre for Counselling, Family Therapy and Abuse Intervention opening party, I was so excited by the buffet that they had on offer, particularly the cheese platter, that I rewound to look at the cheese platter again. Shelley speaks
1: French the exact same way as Carrie Bradshaw when she was to Paris.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh,
1: Duarto says when he's looking at their apartment, he says, the windows are the eyes of the room, <laughs> which just reminded me of Bimini Bomboulash. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Cher's pioneering efforts, you still haven't hit puberty. And it just
0: everyone's always ragging on Cher in the nineties films. <laughs> there must have been a, a a moment for Cher that was just like weird. Our perception of it is so colored by yeah. Cher's epicness that we can't yeah. imagine the time that anybody would talk smack about Cher. Exactly. <laughs> In her life and career section on her Wikipedia page, there is a heading that says "1992 to 97: Health and Professional Struggles slash Directorial Debut." So it okay, looks so like it, yes, yeah, she's maybe a wee bit of a joke at that point. So she developed Epstein-Barr virus and chronic fatigue syndrome, and was too exhausted to sustain her career in music and film. So she ended up doing a whole string of infomercials, launching health and beauty and diet products. Oh no, Cher! So it turns out, yeah, the '90s was not a good moment for Cher. Cher had a little stint of working for the patriarchy. She did, yeah.
1: Well, we know it was because she was in a in a bad place, and we're glad she's okay now.
0: But fuck every screenwriter that made a joke out of Cher because the last laugh is with Cher. Yeah. So you yeah, know, off Cher '90s. Leave Cher alone. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like signing off. um, I mean, I feel like there is only one way to sign off. Okay, go for it. Take it away. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I
1: can't go with other boys. No. And don't tell me what to do. And don't tell me what to say. And when I go out
0: with you, don't put me on display. Pretty good. (laughs) You remember. That was I'll have what She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalized voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time.